Welcome to the Straight Up, No Bullshit, The Don Hanston Show. Our hosts are going to push the limits, but create an environment where it's safe to uncover the crap that holds you back so you can survive the mediocrity of today's life. And they'll be admitting and revealing their own experiences so you can learn the skills and attitude you need to be who you are. No bullshit. Warning to all listeners, if you have thin skin and get offended easily by harsh, direct, or somewhat offensive content and language, then this podcast may be overwhelming. However, we believe pulling your blinders off and viewing things from a real perspective may feel invigorating and may be the very thing that may cause you to expand your capabilities exponentially. Now here's your hosts, Don and Marcus. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome to Straight Up No Bullshit. We are glad you're here. Don, how's it going, my friend? Everything's going wonderful. Excellent, excellent. Well, today's podcast is all about alternative ways to earn income, earn profits. I'd go so far as to say it's a better way to make money and live life on your terms. We have a special guest today on our podcast, Nico Mercuris, and he's a lifelong entrepreneur, published author. He's owned multiple businesses. And he trades, he makes money, and he's a wonderful guy. So I'm glad to call him my friend. So Nico, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marcus and Don. Appreciate the, the welcome, warm welcome, Nico. Thank you. Thank you. Glad Absolutely. To be Absolutely. So tell us, Nico. Tell us your background. You know, how'd you get started as an entrepreneur? Tell us. You know, how how'd you get to where you are today? It started back uh, when my father passed away. When I was about six years old, is when I my my father was an entrepreneur. He was a his family, his parents were immigrants from Greece. He had about a fourth grade education and, uh, you know, he had to basically not go to school to help his parents, you know, when they, when they came here. So he didn't have a lot of education, but he knew he was a hustler. So he ended up owning a restaurant like a lot of Greeks do and uh, became a very successful restaurant back in the late sixties, early seventies in Florida, uh, on the, on the West coast of Florida. And, um, got to the point where, I mean, he, he was, he was, he was very clever in order to attract people to come to the restaurant, um, he got a hot air balloon and tied it to a rope and let it go up about, you know, 300 yards in the air and was offering free hot air balloon rides. So people were That's coming awesome. from all over to get hot air balloon rides. And it just so happened to be the rope came down and attached to the restaurant where, you know, they would have to come in and eat. So he became very popular. Uh, even celebrities came in there. But I was only, you know, four or five, six years old when all this was happening. Uh, and we lived in a house in Terraverde Island, Florida, which was on the water. Everything seemed great. I have more of a riches to rag story because we were living very good until my, I was about eight. My father passed away and uh, he did not plan for his death. He did not plan for, you know, uh, you know, not being around any longer. And he didn't he didn't he didn't do anything to protect the family. So when he passed away, my mother had to liquidate everything to pay his uh, his taxes, his all of his expenses, his bills. And so we were living high on the hog when he was alive. So we ended up having to sell the house moved into a motel uh, for about four months before my mother could get on her feet. And she was a high school runaway who, uh, you know, dropped out of high school in 10th grade, ran away, met my father. So I grew, my family were not like scholars, you know, um, both entrepreneurial minded. But when my father died, my mother ended up opening up an antique store because that's all she knew was to buy furniture. She was buying antiques for the house and she ended up having to sell her antiques. And that's when she realized that that was a profitable endeavor. She would buy them at garage right. sales and then resell them. And so she opened up an antique store and jewelry store. I was like going into middle school at this time. And uh, by the time I got to high school, I realized that I did not, you know, I, I was not a college type person. I was more entrepreneurial minded. So I went to work for my mother and she had a very successful antique and jewelry store at the time. And I was going to become a gemologist. I was going to be a jeweler. Uh, she was starting to sell jewelry and gemstones. And that really took off in the eighties. And uh, she was doing very well. Uh, but then I got into the call. So I went and got a job at a sales marketing office and okay. I became the top seller. It was a telemarketing firm, telemarketing office. And I became one of the top uh, producers there. And then I became the manager. And then I just learned how they were doing. I said, screw this, this guy who I'm working for is making, you know, hundreds of thousands a month in the nineties driving a Mercedes and lived in a big house. And I'm like, I'm making at 800 to a thousand dollars a week selling for him. So I went and just opened my own office and, um, didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I kind of knew what I was doing. I, all I knew was how to train the salespeople, became a good sure. sales trainer, uh, had a couple failed endeavors with the, with the telemarketing office, but finally we got one to work. I ended up with about 149 employees at one point and um, did, did well. Uh, the problem with it was it was very high 
cost of operation. Uh, you know, when you have that many employees, not much overhead, we were probably grossing about $12 million a year in gross revenue. And I was probably netting take home about 500,000 a year, which was still quite good. I was living yeah. better than most doing whatever I wanted, but that's a ridiculous, um, uh, profit margin, uh, spread on that, right. that amount of gross income. So while I was doing that, I started tra day trading. I started wanting to learn about the stock market and other investments, real estate and things like that. And I had money coming in from the call center. So I started buying real estate and this was, you know, early two thousands or late nineties, all the way to 2005, six, seven until the real estate market crashed. And two things happened. I, I lost a multi-million dollar contract with the call center business and the real estate market crashed all in the same time around 2007, wow. 2008. So I went from making a lot of money with the call center and just buying properties and, you know, uh, everything you bought back then, right before the crash just went up in value. So you, it was very hard to not make money. And then, um, all that came to a grinding halt in the same year. Uh, and uh, I lost a million dollar year contract, the real estate market crashed. I had about four, $4 million worth of real estate that I ended up owing more than it was worth at the time. Right. And I got hit with a big IRS bill, almost $800,000, which after fees, taxes, penalties, and came close to a million dollars at one point. Um, so it's a triple you know, whammy you got hit with. Yeah, it was, it was tough. So I had to, you know, figure out how to basically recover and rebuild from that. I, I knew those, all three of those things worked. real estate worked, the call center business worked, but I, um, you know, I didn't understand what happened with the real estate market. That's when I had the first lesson in real estate. I bought at the wrong time. I was buying at the, the, the top of the real estate market. A lot of people got crushed. Right. And, um, and then I started wanting to know, okay, well, how are these people making millions with real estate? So I really started to, to try to dive into that and figure out, okay, I like real estate. I had some kind of attraction towards it. I liked the idea of owning right. properties. I liked the idea of, I, I liked everything about it. I even liked landscaping. I, I got into tree, you know, how to, how to landscape and the way things look on the outside and mm. be beautifying the property, curb appeal, all that kind of stuff. Golf courses. I, for some reason, I was just attracted to like landscaping for some reason. So decorating, you know, interior design. I liked all that stuff. So I just gravitated towards real estate. Then I started flipping houses, uh, wholesaling houses. When the bottom, when the market tanked, you were able to buy cheap. I said, and then I, then I realized that, that was the time to buy. When I was buying at the peak of the market was the wrong time. Now's the time. And this was when everyone was scared because the market just crashed. But I had some smart people tell me, okay, now's the time to start scooping up properties. <clears throat> and so it's all about market cycles. And I learned that in the stock market. I went to the um, OTA, which is, stands for Online Trading Academy, which is one of the biggest uh, you know, uh, stock trading firms out there. Cost about 30 grand just to go to this. Uh, it's in person. They teach you in person how to trade wow. the stock market. So there was two things I was, I was, I had a tug of war interest with, which was everything financial, but investment right. wise, it was the stock market and real estate. And right around that same time that I was learning the stock market and trading, crypto started coming into the, into the sphere of household conversations. People are starting to say, you know, talk about crypto and Bitcoin and things like that. So I started looking into it and, you know, for the heck of it, I bought Bitcoin. And I think at one point I had like 50 Bitcoin. And, um, that was, you know, that was down below $300 per Bitcoin. So, um, uh, I made money on it, sold it when Bitcoin went up, but realized, you know, Bitcoin dropped from, went up to 9,000, 10,000 and then dropped all the way to 3,500. And that's when I, I, I was, I thought I was a genius. I got out just in time. You know, this thing was just a fad. And then it went from 3,500 straight up to 20 to 40 to 50 to 60. That's when I started understanding market cycles. And learning about not only stock market cycles, but real estate market cycles and crypto market cycles. And um, there's there's bear markets and bull markets in every cycle. And the people who understand when to get out of one and when to get in the other um, learn very quickly how to compound their wealth and grow it to you know, much faster. It's kind of like a wormhole. You know, when you watch the Science Channel talk about the wormhole going to, um, you know, stellar galaxies, you know, light years away is impossible unless there's a wormhole. You can literally shorten the distance of time. Well, um, when you buy investments at the right time, at the bottom of a bear market or the beginning of the bull market cycles, and you use a little leverage uh, with real estate, you borrow money from other people, OPM, you use sure. other people's money to buy and appreciate an asset that goes up in value. Uh, and so your ROI or your return, your cash on cash return is infinite because you didn't put any money into the deal. Um, the right. more you put down, the more you have to invest yourself, the, the lower your your return. And so when I started, you know, using leverage, 
that kind of translated over into the stock market with options trading and then into the crypto market with leveraged trading futures contracts like we're doing now. And that's a whole nother ball game where you can, you can take a little bit of money and, you know, turn it relatively quickly using leverage if you know what you're doing. So that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of like the long story. The Cliff Notes version. There you go. Yeah, go. <laughs> that was good. No, it sounds like you have a lot of, a lot of experiences. So Nico, yeah. you talk about market cycles and I understand that. I kind of always look at it too, because I, 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 again, I lost pretty much everything in 08 as well with the real estate and everything else. What I found is it, it kind of, in a simplistic mind, it kind of goes back to like Warren Buffett said, and he said, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. So it's kind of like when it's like this, the red headed stepchild, nobody wants it, right? That's the time to buy it. That's it's dirt cheap. Nobody wants it. You should just be accumulating as much as you can. And when everybody wants it, that's the best time to sell it, right? I got to have it. I got to have it. There's not enough of it. There's, there's, there's not enough abundance, right? It's supply demand, right? It's a supply demand thing. The only question that I have to you is when you're buying an asset, right? Whether it's a cryptocurrency, uh, a stock, whatever it may be, a lot of times there's no interest in some of these projects, stocks, whatever, cryptos. How do you, like, how do you know? And I know you don't know, but how do you personally take the, the guidance toward what's going to actually thrive when people decide that they want it. So for instance, I bought a lot of cannabis stocks, okay, in 2017, a lot of it. A lot of those things went out of business. I'm like, screw it. I just keep buying them. They're going down, down, down. Hopefully sooner or later to gain some traction, I make some money, right? Well, it really hasn't happened, right? So it's like, okay, it's okay. You get one that goes way up and you make you make all your money back from all those loss, losses that you have. Like, let's say for for crypto as as an example, how do you quantify what's actually going to gain traction? What's actually not going to go out of business? What's actually going to create some leverage? Now, I understand you put some in a basket and you hope that two out of five do something, maybe one out of 10 does a lot. What would you say your your overall ideas on that would be? Yeah, a great question. Well, you know, in the stock market, you got hundreds of companies, thousands of companies, they all have different CEOs. They have different owners that are doing different things. They have different ideas. You don't know what their goal is and you're betting on a company to make you money. You want it to go up in value, but the, the, the owner of that company might have a drug problem. He might be cheating on his wife. He might be, he might be, you know, uh, ready to sell uh, the company right now, or maybe he's getting ready to merge into something else. And you're, you're, you don't really don't know what's happening with these people. Right. And so you're trusting, you're betting on businesses and businesses fail. And, um, that doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money in the stock market, but the people I know who make the most money in the stock market are not buying holders. They're, they're scalpers or they're day traders and they're, they're buying the, their, you know, the dips and they're, they're going long or short depending on where the support and resistance is. And they don't really care. They have a basket. They have a scanner that scans all the companies that are hitting a certain low for the day and they're going along that thing and they're going to dump it on the people. So it's, it's like, it's like a dog eat dog world. It's, uh, you know, as, uh, uh, Michael Douglas said in Wall Street, he says it's a zero sum game, right? If someone loses, if someone wins, someone else lost. And um, nothing wrong with that. That's the way it works. And uh, but in crypto, a little different. Uh, well, let me let me go to real estate first, because this is the thing people know in real estate. There are market cycles as well. But the people who make the most money in real estate are not ever selling. They buy and it doesn't matter if the market goes down or up or down or up over the next 20 years. It doesn't affect them because they're buying for long term cash flow. And the equity buildup over time, uh, com combined with the tenants paying down the debt over time, combined with the cash flow that's steady or, and going up over time because rent goes up, inflation goes up, rent goes up, property values go up. So the long-term holders in real estate make the most money and they get the most cash flow along the way. They're getting paid to hold the property basically with cash flow. And then at the end, they can refinance and pull the, the, the equity out. So when I was wholesaling houses, I would, I would get a house under contract, find a buyer, flip it for a $10,000 profit. Thought that I was a genius. I was in and out of the deal, made 10 grand. But then I'm like, I look back at all the houses that I wholesale. I'm like, damn, if I would have just kept some of those, uh, they're worth 10 times more than I got them under contract for. And I would have had the cash flow all this time. I would have made a hundred times more money. 
than if, if than just wholesaling because wholesaling is transactional. And so you, you every time you do a transaction, you get paid, but that's it. You don't get any more money from that deal and you have to go do another deal in order to get paid again. Where you buy and hold, you're getting paid from that property forever and ever and ever as long as you as long as you own it. And if the market goes up, great, you have more equity. If the market goes down, you, your your property value, your property might be worth a little bit less, but the cash flow stays the same or goes up. No, so so I I agree with, with exactly what you're saying, and 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 my theory on all of this is when you're investing money, personally, I like you talk about trading. I'm not looking for another job. I'm not looking to uh, top and bottom and sell and move and pay tax. I no. So right. But in crypto, what like is it a different story? Yes. So in crypto, we look at market sectors. We look at okay, um, what's if it's just a meme token and it has no what we call a shit coin, as you probably have heard uh, in in you know when Dogecoin or Shiba Inu became public and Elon Musk was talking about it. Dogecoin went through the roof. It went from 0.0000000 all the way up to like 67 cents. And uh, some people made millions or tens of millions on that. And that was a, what we call a shit coin, meaning it has no value. It has no utility. utility. There's nothing behind it at all. It's just for fun. And um, so if you get in on something like that, it's mostly luck. If you're able to get in on a crappy coin or with no, no value or whatever, and it shoots to the moon, you might have got lucky. Um, doing that multiple times is rare. But what we can do is we can find tokens that have really good utility, like Solana, for instance, or XRP. They actually serve a purpose, and there's a huge amount of uh, market share behind it. They have the market share is huge, and there's a, a huge community behind it that is buying constantly and and supporting it. And then you have something that's a little more solid. But some of those are still like companies on the stock market. They have owners, they have creators or developers. The only one that doesn't have an owner or creator or developer is Bitcoin. Bitcoin was created by uh, somebody, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, who is kind of like this unknown, uh, invisible guy, but it's kind of like a, a gift to the world, whereas there's no control of it. This It's like a self-sustaining uh, mathematical equation where there's only going to be, once all of the tokens are mined, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. And we're up to about 19 million right now, but there's 2 million left. And, and the way it works is because of the Bitcoin having a having happens every four years. And that what that means is that every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's being mined gets cut in half. And so in order to mine the balance of 2 million Bitcoins to make up the 21 million from the 19 million that's already been mined, that will take about another 150 years and, uh, at, with the having. So right now, currently, there's about 800 Bitcoins being mined per day. Right. That doesn't seem like anything. Grayscale or Blackstone just bought 11,000 Bitcoins the other day in one swell. It'll take 13 days just to make up for that purchase. Now, when they start bringing billions into the market and we go from 40 million wallets holding Bitcoin or crypto up to a billion wallets, now we have a market share of maybe 10 trillion instead of pushing 1 trillion or 20 trillion. Now we have double the market share of gold. Now you're looking at a one to two or $5 million for one Bitcoin. So it's kind of like, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when uh, it's the only asset class in my lifetime and that I know of ever. If you take all of them, stock market, real estate, uh, gold, silver, commodities, everything. And you put it all in a basket and you look at the average rate of return over the last 10 years, decade, you know, uh, I think that I think the QQQ in the stock market, the S and P 500, maybe did six or eight hundred percent over a ten year period. Uh, Bitcoin did ten million four hundred eighty thousand percent. So uh, the yeah. there's just nothing that com comes close to the rate of return. Uh, now, even to this day, you're looking at forty percent to one hundred percent a year um, growth in Bitcoin. A lot of people are like, "Well, okay, so what if Bitcoin? What if you buy Bitcoin now and it goes up to a million dollars? How do you get the money out?" And the question, my response to that is, "Why?" Why, would you Why do you out? want to take the money out? Uh, well, uh, what's, what good is it if you can't get the money? Okay, well, that's a good, that is a good question. But imagine this. Michael Saylor said something like this, and he's a, a famous uh, CEO who owns MicroStrategies. He's got about 106,000 Bitcoins, multi-billionaire. Um, he said that if you were, your great-great-great-grandfather bought like a, a block in the city, a block of Manhattan, you know, back in the late eight, early 1800s, 
uh, let's just say, and you, it got passed down along the, the way. And now you're the owner of a whole city block in Man- downtown Manhattan. Would you ever sell it for the money, for the cash value of it? Um, the question is probably no, because the, you know, it's like killing the goose. It's laying the golden egg. So you have this city block, you have all these tenants, you have all these buildings built on it and you're collecting rents and cash flows for forever for the rest of your life. And the property value is just going through the roof over time. Well, Bitcoin is doing the same thing. If you sold Bitcoin, let's say you bought a Bitcoin for right now for 40 grand and it went up to a million dollars in five years. If you sold that, you would have a capital gains tax, um, probably in the 30 to 40% range. So, okay, now you got the rest. Now, what you just did is you traded an asset going up at an average rate of 40 to 100% a year for an asset, fiat currency, that's going down at a rate of eight to 10% a year. So when you understand that your, your cash cash is sitting in the bank going down in value. If you have a million dollars in the bank, it's going down at a rate of 80,000 per year of purchasing power. So most people don't, don't know that they want to, they want to accumulate cash, but cash is just sitting there, you know, eroding, uh, when it's not put to use. That's why real estate investors or investors in general gen- generally want to take the money and put it into an asset class to at least keep up with inflation. You want to earn at least eight to 10% a year or more on your money. Otherwise you're losing money basically. Bitcoin is the only thing right now that is outpacing inflation by uh, sometimes a, a multiple of eight to 10 per year, whereas the stock market, yeah, you might be breaking even. And if you're good at trading, like you said, you didn't want to do what most people don't want to do because they don't want another job, then you can make 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 100 percent a year. But if you just set it in there and the S&P, you're, 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 you're keeping your head above water, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. QQQ might be doing a little better than that, but you're still just outpacing inflation barely which is still better than losing the money. But but uh, I've seen nothing that outperforms Bitcoin. But uh, back to your original question, how do you know what's about to take off and, and, and not is that in addition to Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is like the leader. Bitcoin is the only crypto out of all of them that is not an altcoin. Everything else is an altcoin. An altcoin, and and so I Ethereum, think Ethereum, Solana, those are all, all altcoins. Yeah, they all have a, a yep, they all have a company or a developer or a founder or a boss, or an owner, a creator uh, that's okay. that's running the company and can make decisions that can affect those coins. Whereas Bitcoin can't, uh, doesn't. It, it's it's controlled by the, we the people and the miners. And so, what can you do with Bitcoin once your one Bitcoin does turn into five million or ten million dollars? Well, you can do the same thing you can do with a city block in Manhattan. You can. You can refinance it. You can borrow against it. You could take loans against your Bitcoin. Right now, you can go on Coinbase, which is a, a centralized exchange, borrow against your Bitcoin. So if you had a million dollars of Bitcoin, here's your option. Sell it, hit, hit with the capital gains tax, walk away with the cash and go spend it. The other option is refinance it or borrow against it up to 50%. And some, some platforms will do up to 60%. But let's say you borrowed a half a million dollars against your Bitcoin took $500 cash out tax-free because it's loan proceeds. Technically, you have to pay that back. But what they've done is they put a, they basically are holding half of your Bitcoin as collateral for the loan. And Bitcoin is continuing to go up in value. You're getting, you're getting charged 8% uh, uh, for the loan, but the asset that they're holding as collateral is going up at 40 to 100% a year. That's free money. You can pay back that loan with the asset. And you can send, you can spend that money. That's awesome. That's awesome. Absolutely. Another thing, is that well? What if what if Bitcoin crashes? Okay, well let's say let's say you take the loan. Let's say it drops fifty percent in value after you borrowed the money. Well, the worst case scenario is they will just take the balance that they're holding as collateral to pay back the loan, and you walk with fifty percent of your cash uh, tax free, um, which is still better than had you not taken the loan. Because if you if you if the Bitcoin crashed after having a million dollars and you didn't take a loan and it crashed fifty percent, you would only have five hundred thousand dollars of the Bitcoin left. And if you got scared at that point, because there was, you know, you were scared of the crash, you might sell it at that point and then get hit with a 40 gains capital gains tax on that balance and walk away with a lot less money. And so, um, that is one of the benefits of crypto, of Bitcoin in general, specifically Bitcoin. My question is goes, you buy Bitcoin right now is a $40,000, whatever it is. You buy it goes up to a hundred grand, right? I say, okay, you know what? I want to take a loan. I want 50 grand of that, right? Which was more than what you paid. You take the 50 grand out. Boom, the thing, whatever happens, and the thing goes down, it's worth $20,000, right? They Do they liquidate that asset at, at a certain point, or do they allow it to grow back up? Because obviously there's a lot of ups and downs with these cryptos, right? There is, yes. 
So I personally, I would never recommend you borrowing 50%, but if you did, but they do loan up to 50%. So let's say that scenario happened. You, you had a um, hundred thousand dollars. You started with 50 grand. It went up, doubled in value and you wanted to take money off the table, but you do it in a loan instead. Um, you would still have $50,000 with Bitcoin. That would be held as collateral. So if the money sits there, if the money just sits there, uh, and Bitcoin continues to go up in value, then you, it's kind of like having a house. So let's say you buy a house and it goes up in value. That equity over and above what you owe is yours. Okay. And so you can either, you can just let it grow and you can pay the loan payments back out of the equity of the Bitcoin's earning, or you can add more money. So if the value goes down, to answer your question specifically, if you borrowed too much, you could get liquidated. And what you will get, you will get margin called just like you would in the stock market. If if you borrowed against your stock portfolio, which is one other thing that people can do if you have a, a, a good relationship with your bank. But if the value of the stocks went down to below or close to the amount that you borrowed, you would get margin call, which gives you an opportunity to deposit more Bitcoin. They always give you a notice first. You can deposit more uh, or just make deposits. Uh, buy more, or they will, as Bitcoin, as the, the leverage dips down below the amount, they will just start chipping away at your, uh, at the, um, Bitcoin that they're holding as collateral. The collateral. And yeah. paying themselves back out of it. They won't take the whole thing. They'll just start chipping away as it, as it goes into it. Uh, and if the, if the market turns around, Bitcoin goes back up, then you're, you basically clear. You're in the clear again. Those are, those are concerns. And, and, you know, this isn't for everybody, but, you know, I always tell people it's kind of funny. Like if you can't stand the heat of getting rich, then you're not going to get rich. In fact, you know, we talk about the 1% and the 99% and a lot of people want to be the 1%. They dream of owning the mansion and flying on the jet. But the people that end up doing that are the ones that take these kinds of risks and do these kinds of things. Um, unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And the rest of the world just sits and watches and wonders and wishes and then talks negative about them. But uh, <laughs> the reality is, is this is how you get rich. This is the way right. to to take right. a little bit and turn it into a lot. And so, yeah, in so a short period obviously, of time. right. So, in, in, but in reality, what's kind of what you're saying there is, well, we, we talk a lot about mindset and belief system on, on this podcast. So you really have to have a very strong mindset and strong belief system to be able to, to weather those storms. Cause let's face it, nothing goes up forever. Things go up and down. However, if you learn how to do it and you leverage it and you have that confidence and that mindset, you're able to take advantage of those things. Whereas a lot of people, like you said, won't do that. So what would you share with our, our listeners about the mindset and the thought process that guy goes into that? Yeah. So that's a great, that is, that's a great uh, question because that is one of the most important things. And a lot of people dismiss it. Like whenever you talk about mindset, a lot of people think, oh, my mind, I, my mindset's fine. I, I'm already confident. I already know I want to do this. But when it comes down to it, there's two, two emotions. There's two human emotions. You got fear and greed and fear is that let's say you're in a trade or you buy something and it starts to go up. It starts to go in your favor. So some might, someone might say, you know, you should take your profits. You're in profit now. You should take the profits. And fear is, um, well, if I take my profit now and it keeps going up, then I'm going to lose out on all the potential money I could make. And then greed is, is that if I close it, same thing basically is that, um, well, if I, if I stay in, uh, or, or greed is that I'm going to stay in because I know it's going to go up. And then what happens right. is it turns on you and goes down and then you lose the profit you could have taken. So <laughs> if you can get a hold of your fear and greed and detach yourself emotionally from money, which is easy to say and very difficult for people to do, then, you know, it's like the person that can walk into a casino and put a thousand dollars, 10, 100 bills into a slot machine is more likely to win than the person who's scared to death to do that. And someone who goes right. in and puts a dollar in and says, oh, that's it. I'm not going to win. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my money, but the person who puts the thousand dollars in and then bets at the highest level are those are the ones that end up having the jackpots and the big gains. I know personally people that do that. And it's kind of funny. The person who, who wins a hundred dollars at the, at the casino put in $5 or $10. The person who wins 10,000 put in a thousand. It always is that way. It just never changes. And it's the same thing with investing. If you want to make tens of thousands of dollars, you have to at least be playing in that in that realm and then in the thousand dollar field, you know, you, uh, if you start out with a hundred bucks, you can eventually turn that into a hundred thousand dollars, but you have to, you have to turn it into 200 first. Then you have to turn that into 400. Then you have to turn that into 800. And it, that's a long, slower process. And you have to not take any profits and you have to reinvest it and you have to be disciplined. Uh, but if you come in with 10 grand, you can, you, you know, you could just get lucky and double that on one trade. But the problem with that is, is the other mindset issue is confidence. Right. Because as soon as you, 
get the confidence because of a win. Same thing in the casino. A lot of people say, oh, what you do is like gambling. And I, I say, well, it's like gambling if when you go to the blackjack table, you are an MIT graduate and you know how to count cards and you're best friends with the dealer and he's showing you his hand. Right. That is the benefit that you have of, of, of understanding how to trade, understanding support and resistance levels. You do have an edge because we're, you know, in crypto renegades, we're winning 70, 80% of the time, sometimes 90%. And the edge is, is that we're winning more than we're losing. And if we, if we continue to do that, then you, and you continually take profits, your account will grow. I mean, it's just automatically, that's what happens. And, um, and the problem that I see with some people is they don't take the profits when they're in yeah. profit. That's a, that's a, this is one of the biggest, strangest things. When the people learn how to trade, they start making profits and then they don't make money because they, they don't take the profits when they're in profit because they think it's going to go up more and they stay in too long. And then it re immediately reverses on them. And they're like, Oh shoot, I was up 20% and now I'm only up 3%. They close the trade out and after the fees, they break even. Or it goes down and hits their stop loss and they lose 10% or 5% on that trade when they were up 20, 30, 40%. And um, learning how to take profits is one of the most important things in trading because once you get in the habit of taking profits, as you know, uh, Marcus, I always say, yep. you, you can never go broke taking profits. I learned that the hard way. I think I had $500 in a trade and it, overnight it, it like jumped like three, three grand and I was just watching it. I'm like, okay, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of leveling off and it's going to go away for the next one. I was doing some charting. And the next thing I know, I'm like, wait a minute, it was a three grand. It was now it's at 1500. What, what's going on? And it was just dropping. And so I learned that the hard way. So I always, you always take profits because there's always more profits to be made tomorrow. Yeah. So if you look to it, that, that kind of philosophy, you're never going to lose out. And, and you know what? Yeah. And then for some people that don't have that gumption or that gust or that grit, there's always dollar cost averaging, right? I mean, you can DCA and accumulate Bitcoin for the long term. And I would, I would say it's better than putting your money in a 401k. Would, would you agree with that? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the 401ks are trash. Uh, we all get suckered into those when we have a job and uh, we think it's a good idea. It's kind of a forced savings account. But really, if you factor in all the fees and, and everything that's included, you're really not making any money on that. It's forced savings is all it is, which does help. Right. It's obviously better to end up with some money in five years or 10 years. But if you would have done something different with that money, if you would have been just as disciplined in putting into something else, as opposed right. to just letting it come out of your paycheck for the, for the W2 wagers, wage earners out there that just have it automatically taken out, that's forced savings is all it is. Now, if you did that same thing with, for instance, Bitcoin over the last 10 years, you're, you would have 10 times more uh, than you would have in a 401k. Uh, and Absolutely. so dollar cost averaging is great, uh, but a lot of people are even scared to do that. So right now, Bitcoin's 41,729. Someone asked me, when should I buy? Should I wait for it to dip down? I'm like, you don't know if it's going to dip down. Buy right now. And if it dips right. down, buy more. And if it dips even further, buy more. And if it dips all the way down to 30, buy some more. That's dollar right. cost averaging. But, uh, but then some people will hear me say that and they'll be like, oh, so what you're saying is it might dip down to 30. I'll just wait until it hits 30. And then it goes up to 50 and then 55. And they're like, shit, I should right. have bought 41 when you told me to. Right. So, so yeah, dollar cost averaging is, is great. You should. So I, I do own some cryptocurrencies. And I, and I have to ask you, from listening to you today, Nico, um, it sounds to me like you're a huge advocate of, of um, Bitcoin. And you're not as much of an advocate as the other ones because they're, they're owned by an owner. And would you say that's accurate? Uh, no, I'm actually, I actually have a little bit of a lot of things. Um, but Bitcoin is the one that will stand the test of time, in my opinion. But there's no reason why you can't make money. Um, just like penny stocks, I'll trade penny stocks. I used to trade penny stocks, but I didn't hold my breath or think that any of those companies are going to be around two years from now. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I didn't care either. You know, uh, if they're new and they're getting some pump and you can get in and make some money and get out. Then, you know, if they're going to, if they eventually change the world with their strategy or their company or their technology, great. But most of those companies don't even last, uh, three, four years. Uh, and, you know, because that's what happens. So, so Solana will be around. Solana will probably go up higher percentage, uh, in this bull market than even Bitcoin. Uh, Solana's already gone up maybe five X just since the beginning of this year. We'll probably do another four or five X by the time Bitcoin hits its all time high. So Solana has the potential. If you bought $1,000 with Solana and it goes up 5X, you made five grand. If you buy $1,000 with Bitcoin, Bitcoin goes up 3X, you only made three grand. But holding Bitcoin and accumulating Bitcoin over time will 
will be better for you over the long term, in my opinion, um, if you can accumulate more of it, because there will there will become a time where you you won't be able to buy any Bitcoin because it'll either be owned and controlled by all the big companies and, and it will be, you know, let's say it's six point five million dollars for one Bitcoin. How much Bitcoin are you going to buy with a thousand bucks? You're going to. Yes, you can buy a fraction of it. You can still buy a thousand dollars worth worth of it. But right. imagine if you would have bought that thousand dollars worth when it was forty one thousand instead of six point five million. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, but that's assuming that it's going to get to six point five million. Yeah, I am assuming that. But you got the biggest hedge funds in the world pouring billions. They just they just got approved from the SEC to create uh, Bitcoin ETFs, not not Ethereum ETFs, not Solana ETFs, Bitcoin ETFs. And they're dumping hundreds of millions, if not billions, which will be billions over the next five years. <clears throat> and and then what's happening with that is that because they are mainstream big companies, regular investors will have the option to buy into those B ETFs through their companies or corporations they're working for in a basket of stocks, kind of like the stock, uh, kind of like uh, the S&P or whatever, and a 401ks, and billions more will flow in and the price of Bitcoin will go up, 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 and it will get into the stratosphere at one point. And, um, you know, we'll be talking about this. They'll be talking about it in universities 10, 15, 20 years ago and talking about how, you know, one guy bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins back in 2009. You know, that's a famous story. Maybe not, maybe not everybody's heard of it, but when Bitcoin was 0 0.00000 some cents, a guy had 10,000 Bitcoins and he wanted to see if he could make a purchase with those Bitcoins. So he called up a pizza place and the owner finally found someone that would accept Bitcoin in exchange for pizza. The guy wanted to know how many pizzas you want Two. that's $36. And it was $36 for these two pizzas with everything on it. And at the pr current price of Bitcoin, that equaled 10,000 Bitcoins. So he made the exchange to make the purchase and he got his pizzas. Well, at the height of Bitcoin, when Bitcoin was $69,000, those two pizzas were worth, those 10,000 Bitcoins were worth $680 million. And so there is nothing ever since I've been alive that has gone up that at that rate of return, at that high in value. Now, some say, well, it's too late. You can't do that now. Yeah, but uh, if you wait for Bitcoin to be $400,000, you're going to wish. You're going to think 40000 is a drop in the bucket. And when it gets to $4 million, you're going to think 400000 was a good deal. And when it gets to yeah. 14 million, you're going to think 4 million was a good deal. And it's just, you just can't wait. You got to do it. It's, it's inevitable. In so my I, I do read a lot about cryptocurrencies, obviously not even nearly as in depth of what you're talking about. Cause you actually do it. I just read articles and probably six months ago, I read, an, I read quite a few articles and they were, t they were saying, okay, if you own Bitcoin, drop it. The one you need to buy is Ethereum because it's there's utility behind it. It can be used for a lot of different projects, which I don't understand all that stuff. But it's faster transactions, lower costs, goes on and on and on. So they talked about basically dumping um, Bitcoin, buying Ethereum. That was that was one of the articles. That was, yeah. so that was the first thing. The second thing was um, <clears throat> recently I had bought um, some Solana and. and all of a sudden, I looked at my portfolio and the thing went up, like you said, like four or five times, right? Because it, it had dipped down. It had dipped way down. Now they're talking about that one is that one is really like maybe even, even better Ethereum. than Ethereum. Okay. Right. And so I don't know anything about this. I mean, you probably know about the stuff. I don't. But, but from what I do know, the, um, I think the uh, the Solana is is much more affordable per coin. Now I don't know how to evaluate that based on how many coins there are, how many they make, or how what impacts the cost of these things. But from what I'm hearing now, it sounds like a lot of the critics are saying that Solana is a better utility and a better <clears throat> crypto than actually Ethereum. But then I read counter articles and they say Ethereum yeah. is going to be the leader. And, and then the last, the last thing I wanted to mention was they talk about the ETF on Bitcoin, right? And they said they think that coming down the pipeline, there's going to be an ETF for Ethereum. Coming down the pipeline, there's going to be an ETF for Solana. Would you agree with any of this stuff? Um, I won't, I'm not going to speculate on whether there'll be an ETF for Ethereum or Solana, but those, both of those tokens do have good utility. Now, um, Ethereum, for instance, you have what's called smart contracts and everything, everything will 
be used a smart, will have a smart contract behind it eventually. So, so long, I mean, if Bitcoin gets to $10 million per Bitcoin, it's because it's a store of wealth. It's an asset class as a store of wealth. It'll be a measure of wealth. It won't, it doesn't have to have a utility behind it other than, other than a store of wealth. Um, kind of like, right. kind of like a, a Monet at an auction. So you hear these stories about some guy, some anonymous bidder paid $60 million for, you know, a Rembrandt or a Monet at, at the auction. What happens to that Monet when he buys it? Well, it, now it's out of circulation and it goes into his mansion or his safe. He maybe hangs it on his wall, looks at it every once in a while. But while it's out of circulation, the value of it goes up. So five years from now, it goes, it's back at Christie's auction. And now it's, you know, uh, $89 million. So right. here's what most people don't get. Why do people do this? You know, like people make fun of Rich and they're like, what an idiot. I would never pay $60 million for a painting. But here's why. It's very simple. When you're rich, you understand. So a, a billionaire just sells his company for $800 million, right? And he's going to be hit with a huge tax. So what do they do is they set up private foundations, um, nonprofit organizations, and trusts. Then they go to an auction and they buy an $80 million Rembrandt. And they, they give that as a gift to the nonprofit organization. As a gift. So now can, they take control of the tax write-off uh, rather than give it to Uncle Sam. They just wrote off $80 million. But who did they give it to? They gave it to their own entity. They gave it to their own foundation. Five years from now, they put it back. The, 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 the trust or the nonprofit puts it up for auction for $89 million. And then they take that profit and the trust or the nonprofit goes and buys a new G5 jet for cash, which the owner or the, the founder of the, the, of the, um, the original company flies on for free as a trustee or a board, uh, a board member of the foundation. It's just a big money game. They know how to play it and they have a lot of help because they have a lot of smart people telling them how to play it once you get to that level. Right. So don't worry about what, what the rich people are doing. But back to your original question, I get, I get off on tangents sometimes because there's so, so many similarities. But when you get to, there's like different levels. Like a lot of people say, oh, well, billionaires are buying gold. So I should buy gold. No, you shouldn't buy gold. Gold, gold is a hedge against inflation. Do you have millions of dollars or billions of dollars? Then why do what the billionaires do? They didn't, they didn't buy gold when they were struggling to pay their bills. That's a dumb thing to do because gold is just right. going to sit there and do nothing. It's not even going to go up in value. It just holds its value. So when you see these commercials on Fox News, you should buy silver and so yeah, okay, it sounds good and it's fun to hold. Trust me, I got some coins around. I like, I like playing with them. And, uh, you know, it's nice to feel the weight of a bar of gold in your hand, but it's, it's useless, really. I mean, Gold is valuable because it's used for jewelry, basically. That's the majority use for it. 90% of gold is mined for jewelry purposes. Not only that, but the, there's, a, there's not a limited, there, there's a never-ending supply. They keep digging more of it out of the ground. And there could be an asteroid right. on the way to Earth with even more gold. Whereas Bitcoin has a finite supply. There's only 21 million that will ever exist. Uh, it is totally limited supply. And some people say, well, that isn't worth anything. Uh, I, I'm like, well, it, it, you know, th this is how much more valuable it is than U.S. dollars because it takes 41,711 of them to buy one Bitcoin and, and the value of the dollar keeps going down. So it's kind of weird. Uh, I think it's contrarian. You have to definitely kind of flip your mind to understand a lot of the, the nuances behind it. But that's really why most people stay broke. They don't understand it. They don't take the time to learn it. And then they end up just trading their time for money with a job. And then spending whatever extra money they have on leisure activity, which leaves them nothing to invest. And, and so back to your original question, Mark, just about mindset is that most people won't do any of these things, no matter how much we talk about them. Right. No, they don't. And it's one of those things where if you keep doing the same things over and over again, you get the same results. You have to do things differently. And that's what this whole podcast is about. So Nico, what would you say are some of the current trends in the crypto industry that you're the most excited about in the near future here? Um, I, I like, I, you know, with crypto renegades, we help people who are new to trading, understand how they can, um, take their, take some money and invest it themselves. We, a lot of people are getting scammed out there by giving other people their money to trade for them or invest, uh, for them. And, yeah. uh, we want, I think everybody should be in control of their own money, their own trading, their own assets, their own investment accounts back gone are the days of, you know, sending money off to a stockbroker and hoping that they do the right thing for you when really they don't care if the money, if you're, Count goes up or down. They're making money on the fees and the transaction fees. 401k, same thing. They're making money on the fees. Uh, ETFs, they're making way, way more money on the fees. And, um, your, your investment is in fiat currency. It's not in Bitcoin. Um, right. so just devaluing 8% a day, 8% yeah. a year. I mean, 
Yeah, exactly. So if you own your own Bitcoin and control it yourself with your own wallets, you are in control. It is in the DeFi space. It's decentralized. And so you're outside of the government system and you are in control of an asset that no one can take away from you. You can have your your lock and key, your 12 word seed phrase in your head. You don't have to have it anywhere. And um, uh, and if you get a cold storage wallet, which you can transfer your Bitcoin off the exchanges outside of the Internet into your little device. You could have a billion dollars in your pocket and no one would ever know it. I mean, if you try to get right. across the border with a pound of gold or a duffel bag full of candy, good luck with that, take it from yeah. you. <laughs> but if you have a if you have a thumb drive with uh, ten billion dollars worth of Bitcoin on it, no one would know. It could even be implanted right. on the inside of your baseball cap. So that that brings up a great question because when you get involved in this stuff, it's kind of hard to get your arms around. There's so much going on in the crypto space. Okay, buying it storing it, you know, having a place where you can actually purchase it. For for instance, I have a I have a Coinbase account, right? So yeah. I buy this and that and this and that, and it goes into a Coinbase wallet, right? Well, everyone knows about it and I get these things and you got to send this in for the taxes and all this bullshit. How do you take that actually off of like a Coinbase account, put it onto a thumb driver, wherever you store it, Number one, number two, when you take it off, isn't isn't there a kind of a tra- uh, like some kind of tracking? It's kind of like if you had a million dollars in the bank and you took the money out of the bank, right? There's there's tracking. You took the money out of the bank, right? So how do you yeah. actually put it in a private wallet where it's where it's actually not only secure, but other people aren't saying, "Well, we saw you take you know ten bitcoins off the off the wallet," and I don't know what you did to it, but now it's worth this amount of money. Now you owe this amount of tax. Like, like, I don't understand all that. Yeah. So that, that's good. That's a great question. So let's just say you had 10 Bitcoin on Coinbase. Coinbase does not report on your behalf, but they do provide what's called a PL in your back office there. And, uh, if you make a profit, they will tell you it's tax time here. You're supposed to download your PL and take it to your accountant and you're supposed to report your earnings. So if you put in a thousand dollars and you ended up turning that into, Four hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin, and you sell the Bitcoin. Here's another big key word: you sell it and convert it back to U.S. currency, fiat currency. That's a taxable event. That's a capital gains tax event. But let's say you grow the Bitcoin to ten Bitcoins and you transfer it out of Coinbase to a private wallet. Well, they might see it leave Coinbase. Might see it leave Coinbase and go to this wallet address. But they don't know who owns that wallet address or where that wallet address stores the Bitcoin. So there is an anonymity there. Um, now, if Bitcoin then goes up from 10 Bitcoins, let's say you have 10 Bitcoins and it's $40,000 per Bitcoin, that's 400 grand. And then Bitcoin does go up to a million dollars per Bitcoin. Now you have $10 million of Bitcoin on your thumb drive and you want to get that back into the system. Well, you could easily send that back to Coinbase, pay the tax on it, or you can send it back to Coinbase and borrow against it. Coinbase will loan you against it. Or let's say you want to buy a house in the Bahamas or somewhere else. There's people there that will take the Bitcoin. They'll, you just wire them the Bitcoin uh, or send and receive. So you can stay now. If, if a wallet becomes known, like if you're a famous person and someone figures out what your wallet is, for instance, Michael Saylor, because he buys so much, they know his uh, micro strategy wallet, wallet address, yeah. and they can see it on the blockchain when he buys and sells. Then people are tracking you as a famous person. But if you're a private individual and you send I can send you a billion dollars of Bitcoin from a private wallet address to one of your private wallet addresses uh, in the DeFi space anonymously. Like no one will know. They can see it go from this wallet address to this one. And the public people might be talking on YouTube saying, man, someone just sent a billion dollars to someone else, but they won't know who sent it or where it was sent to. Right. And they and that, that's them. the beauty of decentralization. And that's why and that's what you know, Bitcoin and, and the whole crypto markets were originally designed for was to be decentralized, to kind of cut out the banks, to cut out the middlemen, to cut out the people, you know, excuse my French, the institutions that keep fucking with us and screwing us out of our hard-earned money. And that's where the, the, the wonderful part of using decentralized exchanges, decentralized wallets, things of that nature comes into play, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I'm not advocating doing anything illegal or avoiding taxes or evading anything. You got to do what you're supposed to do. Uh, but there, your business is your business and you don't have to like, you know, you, you, you can be as private as you want. And there is a line in the law and you can get as close to the line as you want, uh, as right. long as you don't cross the line. And if you do everything, uh, 
you know, first of all, Coinbase is a centralized exchange. It's a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, and they will loan you up to 50% against your Bitcoin. So that's tax-free loan you can take right there. Right. Um, and, and so do it above, bo- above board. It doesn't matter. You don't have to hide anything if you don't want to. But if you do want to be private and secret, that's the good thing about the decentralized space because you can be. But you well, can the Constitution it. says we have a right to privacy, and unfortunately, the government and everybody else seems to forget that. Yeah, and we have a right to be private. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're under I the think- opinion that uh, that uh, crypto and um, blockchain, all this stuff, is for criminals to evade taxes. But the funny thing is, is that most of the laws that were ever broken, financial laws, uh, uh, were broken with U.S. dollars and and U.S. currency over the Correct. past, you know, hundred. 200 years. So correct. Um, the, the, the blockchain and the, uh, the way it is, is that everything is trackable, but right. they may not know who it is, but cause once you, uh, to, back to your question, Don, once it leaves the centralized exchange, they don't know who you sent it to. And you could just call it a loss at that point. Um, you could just, it, it may not ever come back to Coinbase and, um, right. you know, you could move that to multiple private wallets outside of Coinbase then, and, and there it is, it's gone. So, um, which, which leads me to the next question. So let's, let's say you bought a Bitcoin, 40 grand, right? 40 grand, you buy it 10 years, five years, a year. It doesn't matter. It's worth $400,000. Okay. But you never took it out of Coinbase. Do you have to pay a capital gains tax per year on between, between what it's worth today and what you paid for it or not no. until you pull it out of the account? Uh, I think that uh, in order for you to be uh, required to pay a capital gains tax on that, you would have to sell it. You would have to realize the profit. What you have when it goes up in value is called unrealized gains. You don't get taxed on unrealized gains, especially like right now in the stock market, or you buy a house for a hundred thousand, it goes up to a million dollars over 20 years. You're not taxed on your equity until you sell that house. All right. That's not, that's not the case with like a bank account, right? Not that you get any interest in the bank. They don't give a shit, but Years ago, when you got like what five percent interest on your money, right? Yeah, but and your money is not an asset. Yeah, they, the uh, whenever you buy when you buy a Bitcoin, you're buying an asset. It's like buying oh, a car, right? okay, okay, like buying, so it's it's di- buying a, a house or something. Oh, so right. it's different than actual currency. Where, it's a commodity. Where, where yeah, where currency goes up in value, it's in the, uh, the bank account. You didn't never took it out. Now you got to pay. You got to pay interest on the tax that you made. But on the other hand. You know, in the last year, our currency's gone, gone down 40%. I don't see any money coming back to me from the government <laughs> saying your money ain't worth nope. shit. So we're going to give you money. So it's all convoluted nonsense. And that's what really makes me interested in the crypto, uh, you know, industry. Right. Yeah. Not only is it convoluted, but the IRS, the taxing authority itself is so far behind and so in the weeds with just regular, uh, taxes, corporate taxes, company, private individuals, uh, that, and, and they're so inexperienced and so uneducated about crypto that they don't, they're not even close to figuring all that out. Uh, there might be some laws on the books and some accountants that are supposedly crypto accountants that can help you with your taxes to try to help you figure it out, but it's a mess and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, I mean, right now, I mean, the IRS still wants you to fax stuff to them. So the IRS is so <laughs> far gone. Who, who yeah. owns a fax machine? Anyone? I don't own one. It's absurd. I think I, I think I, I think I have one in my storage unit <laughs> from 1974. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when you when you file your taxes, like if you even if you use a, a company like H and R Block or some kind of tax preparer, and you want to make sure the IRS gets it, you you can the the, the tax preparer will mail them your return, but you should also set up. Uh, fax them and they all the only way they will take it from you is a fax so you have to go to like an office supply store and use their fax machine it's kind of crazy um <laughs> that they're still using this system wow. but um not only that but That's i tried to book an appointment with the irs and the first o- opening the first appointment that i could get in to meet somebody in person was two months down the road wow um and that's just at one of the local tax offices so it's uh yeah it's a mess but um but yeah, so it's like buying, it's like buying like the Rembrandt we talked about. It's like buying right. um, a, a piece of art or something that might go up in value over time, but you could also go down in value. So if you bought Bitcoin at 40 grand and it went down to 30 and you sold it, that's a $10,000 loss you can also write off on your tax return. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, good. good. Well, Nico, this has been phenomenal. You've shared a lot of great nuggets. And again, giving you know our listeners and our, and the, our viewers the ability to 
think outside the box, you know, plant those seeds of that. There's alternative ways of doing these things and probably what I would say better ways of doing things than the traditional way that most people will teach you out there, you know, the, the financial guru, so to speak. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing it. And so now you have a, a group, a mastermind of crypto renegades that is all about teaching people how to, how to trade and how to leverage Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies. Correct. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Crypto Renegades, uh, we started a couple years ago, almost three years ago now. And, uh, basically we were just getting into ICOs and new token launches. And, um, I was trading, I was trading stock market and trading Bitcoin, but then I would share my screens on our live zoom calls, uh, and talk about Bitcoin and people that got into the program to learn about how to get in on a new token launches and ICOs. ICOs basically stands for initial coin offerings, kind of like IPOs in the stock market. So right. we're, we're finding cryptos that are just being born, you know, brand new to the world and, buying them before anybody knows about it. Uh, but then I was trading Bitcoin futures contracts and everybody in the group, well, I want to do that. They're, you know, they're seeing the 10%, the 20%, the 50%, the 80% gains almost daily being posted in the group. And they were like, well, I want to learn how to do that. So we started incorporating that into the coaching and training. And now it seems like more people are joining to learn that specifically. Um, the, the ICOs are fun. They can do anywhere from two X to hundred X right at launch and right. a little bit more risky, but you know, um, they can be life changing, obviously, but uh, they're not. They're more. They're more risky, and they're more hit or miss. Whereas understanding support and resistance, understanding technical analysis on the charts, you can literally pull money out of the Ethernet every day, uh, predictably when you know what you're doing. So that's like you know, once you understand the stock trading and things like that, you can certainly make a living out of it and pay your bills and accumulate wealth doing it. If you if you have the desire to do that, right. and a lot of people they have a day job or they have a business. And they just want to learn how to do it in their spare time because, you know, you could be anywhere. I mean, I have two businesses. I, you know, we teach and train coach. I'm also trading, but I'm also a real estate investor. I like different things. And, um, and, uh, you know, I think that if, if everybody understood how easy it was, they could be scalping Bitcoin while they're at the grocery store, while they're in traffic, while they're, you know, whatever on their, any device, you know, I trade on my mobile, I trade. Uh, on my desktop, I trade on a laptop, wherever, wherever I go. So, you know, you can, the cool thing about trading and is that you don't need any employees. You don't need any overhead. You don't need a product or service. You don't even need to wear pants. You just need internet connection and a device <laughs> to, and, and understanding when to get in and when to get out. Right. And that's right. it. And you can literally take money and turn it into more money. And so that's right. kind of the only business that you can learn how to do or create that doesn't require all those other things. Like, if you start a business, you might have to have overhead. You have to rent space. You have to get employees. You have to spend it for advertising. So many things. And uh, and that's hard, right? Businesses are hard. And, um, you know, one out of 100 make it past a year. But trading something everybody can learn. So if, if anybody's interested in that, yeah, please reach out. And just just to be clear on our last couple comments, I'm not a tax advisor. Uh, I do Correct. recommend that you talk to a professional tax advisor. I have to because I'm not a tax expert. But, you know, being being around it long enough, we know. Uh, what capital gains tax is and um, what asset class Bitcoin falls into. And you don't have to sell it ever. Right. And, uh, and just to give you an example as how you can get the money out, we talked about that with refinancing or borrowing against it. This is what real estate investors have been doing all along. They get richer and richer and richer without ever selling their properties like Donald Trump. This is how they do it. They buy a 10 unit, a hundred unit apartment building. They borrow most of that money. They borrow most of the money from the bank and the down payment to borrow from someone else, private investors, so have no money in themselves. Right. And when it goes up in value over time and the tenants pay down the debt, they refinance and pull all that cash out tax-free, use that money to buy more property. And they have no tax consequence because it's all loan proceeds and they get richer and richer and richer over time. So do the same thing with crypto, build it, accumulate it, borrow against it, take that money, buy more, borrow against it as it's going up in value. Use that money to live your lifestyle, pay your bills tax-free because it's loan proceeds. No reason to ever cash out and get hit with capital gains tax if you know what you're doing, but do it the right way. Do it the legal way. And, and by doing that, you're building generational wealth that you can pass on to your heirs, your kids, their grandkids and so forth and live a, a, have a, live, live a dynasty for yourself. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Nico, thank you so much. You've been phenomenal. Thank Appreciate you. all the wisdom you've shared. Awesome. Uh, I, I know our listeners and our, and our and watchers are going to really enjoy everything you've shared. We definitely got a lot longer than we normally do, but uh, today was definitely worth doing. So 
Uh, so thank you so much. And uh, maybe we'll have you back again. We'll, we'll go into some deep dives on some other aspects of, of crypto that uh, as, as, the, as the bull market continues. So I appreciate everything you've shared with me and shared with, uh, with the group here. And uh, you, folks, uh, if you liked what you heard today, smash the like, subscribe, find Nico. Uh, Nico, tell us uh, if they want to search you. Is it just Google your name? Is that the best way? Yeah, uh, you can Google my name, which is probably on the screen somewhere here. Uh, also, Crypto Renegades right on my hat here. You can you can uh, search that on Facebook or uh, Nico Makiris on Instagram, on Facebook, Crypto Renegades on Facebook. I got YouTube channels. I got Twitter channels. I'm I'm pretty much everywhere. And, and you are everywhere. At, I see your stuff Nico all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Excellent. Thanks, well, guys. thank you again so much. We appreciate you taking the time. Again, listeners, if you liked what you heard, share it with your uh, friends, colleagues. Uh, smash the likes, uh, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. And until next time, we'll see you on Straight Up No Bullshit. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Straight Up No Bullshit, The Don Hanston Show. We hope we enlightened you and expanded your perspectives with our bold and honest discussions about what might be holding you back from being your genuine self. And with a simple click to subscribe, we'll invite you back to the next episode. If you want to know more, go to straightupnobullshit.com. We'll see you next time.